1: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today! I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows. And it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see, you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable, original, contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press and you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So, be sure to check out our website today for all the good healthy stuff we got for you. Okay, our lovers. Today's kind of a cool episode because, you know, as a art lover, it's always, of course, inspiring to have super talented artists on the show, which we have today. Actually, we have two. But also as a father of a son, it's super special to me too because the two people we have on the show today are Antonio and Isaac Paleo, which, if you guys happen to know, it's father's son, father's son. And the old saying about the apple not falling too far from the tree. Well, this is a perfect case study for that. And, you know, but my son is four. And, you know, if I remember right, Isaac's 24. But the fact that Antonio got to see Isaac grow up into such a successful dynamic young man who's following in his footsteps to to being an artist and well on his way to being a successful artist. You know, it's just a beautiful human story. And as a father who's got a long way to go before my son amounts to anything because right now he's four and he's just breaking shit. (laughs) And, you know, it's just awesome to see. It gives me hope. It gives me inspiration to see, This amazing, beautiful family, father, son team telling their story. And so I'm honored that they came on to talk about their story today. I mean, truth of the matter is I've known Antonio for a lot longer than I've known Isaac. Antonio and I met years ago, initially through our mutual friend, the one and only Man One. Shout out Man One. Man One used to have Crew West Gallery. And Antonio met and I met through the gallery. But, you know, Antonio is straight-up artist at Disney. I mean, he's one of the final, last inking artists that works there at Disney Animation. So his pedigree, his story is amazing. But now he's got Isaac, who is pursuing his love of painting and is on fire already. I mean, his work is collected by, oh, I don't know, a few people you've probably never heard of. Sean Diddy Combs. Ever heard of him? Shepard Ferry? Who's that guy? I don't know. Jeff Hamilton? West Side Gun? Who are these people, right? Well, they happen to own Isaac's art, but also Isaac's been featured in some great, you know, his PR machines working good for him. I got I to gotta say, I mean, he's been to LA Weekly, Hype Beast, Ink Mag, just to name a couple. And his work's been featured in museums too Museum of Latino American Art in Long Beach, the Trotsky Museum in Mexico City. Galleries, he has shown, his work is shown in Gaba Gallery, Plaza de la Raza, Known Gallery, the Seventh Letter Gallery, on and on. This kid's going places, man. He's going places. But he's going places because of Antonio, who clearly raised this kid upright. When you hear this conversation and you hear about the things that Antonio was teaching Isaac along the way, man, I tell you what, I got to up my game. <laughs> As a dad, I'm not so sure I'm dropping wisdom but my son, the way uh, Antonio was dropping wisdom with his son, but you know it's just such a beautiful human story, and uh, I know you guys are going to love it. Before we get into it, I absolutely want to encourage you guys. I don't know if you've been checking out the blog lately, but we are on fire on the blog, notrealart.com. dot com. We've got the Q plus Art series, we've got the Artists of the Day series, and then of course we got the Soul Picnic Music Playlist series as well, which is a monthly series. You got to check this stuff out. You got to subscribe to these newsletters that we've got going because there's just a lot of great information, inspiring information, a lot of incredibly dope, powerful artists who are trying to help tell their stories and promote their work and elevate and celebrate them. So if you haven't been to the website recently, definitely go and check out what's happening there because we're pumping out new content virtually every day now. Uh, and you don't want to miss out on any great stuff. But without any further ado, Get into this, listen to this interview. It's such a beautiful human story. Love this. So great to see fathers and sons doing it right together and showing that that love and passion as uh, Isaac and Antonio Paleo do. So without further ado, let's get into this right now. Antonio and Isaac Paleo. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast.
0: Thank you for yeah. having us. What do you said?
1: It is an honor to finally do this. I mean, how long have we been talking about this? Antonio, I know you and I, we talked about it like two years ago.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a minute.
1: Been a minute. Life's been crazy. I think we might have had some shit going on. I don't know what, though, but you know, 2020 got, was a little crazy.
0: Very. Yeah, I was dealing with some baby mama issues.
1: No, uh, weren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, was I for that matter? <laughs> you I don't know? have
0: a baby mama, at least I don't think so.
1: Well, none that you know of. I know that's what I say. You know, my wife, the mother of my two children, she sometimes says to me that she wishes that we had had a third. And I said, Well, honey, I said, I, I didn't marry you until I was 35. I said, The doorbell could ring at any point in time, you might have your third. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. She, she doesn't like that joke. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I tell you what, I'm so grateful that the three of us are getting together. I mean, you guys have such a unique, beautiful story. I mean, obviously, Isaac, your dad and I go back a little bit. You know, we have our connections through our mutual friend, Man One and Crew West Gallery. And then, of course, Antonio, you working for the amazing Walt Disney company as a inking artist, a cartoonist. Your heritage, your legacy there is incredible. My wife worked there too. So you guys had that kind of connection. And the fact though, that you have a son who's sort of following in your footsteps as an artist, but on a whole nother level too. Like as a dad, I mean, cause I'm a dad, but my kids are you know under eight. I got two kids under eight. So I got a long way to go. What's it like, man, to see Isaac achieve the notoriety that he's achieving with his art at such a young age as a father?
2: It's obviously incredible. To witness the start of this thing when he was two years old, it started when he was two, and just to see it happen, it's just incredible. can't even describe it. He's most proud that I'm potty right now
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right right yeah, you might want you might want to get around to that <laughs> so when he was two and he was started drawing. And you started seeing his creative artistic abilities at the age of two. Like, what was he, what was he drawing? What were you seeing? Do you remember the first thing you, that, that he drew? Like, what were some of the, how did he, how did it come to life in him? Can you see that? Oh, that's the first drawing. You got a tattoo of it. Oh, dude, that's amazing. And obviously it's a motif that he's continued with. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, it was a self-portrait. And
0: you see the resemblance? a self
2: <laughs> Exactly. We can't see you, by the way.
1: Oh, it's okay. As long as you can hear me, as long as you can hear me, that's cool. You don't really want to see me anyway. (laughs) I may not be wearing pants. You don't know that.
2: that.
1: Well, that's beautiful, man. I mean, you know, my daughter's clearly a creative artsy type. It's so cool to see, but you know, she's eight years old. I don't know what she's going to do with it, but now here you are. Isaac, you're 24 now, right? 25. 25. Oh shit. You're getting old. (laughs) Yeah, he get all the
0: yeah, gray hairs now.
1: Oh, but well, it gets it gets worse. It gets worse. Just wait, but to see how it's of ev- he's evolved and how he's grown, man. I mean, you know, I guess your heart just must be just so full with love and pride.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's full with frustration and cholesterol. Nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, at our age, because <laughs> I'm 51, Antonio, how old are you now? 48. Forty eight, right. So I, I I thought I was a couple years older than you. But <laughs> yeah, at our thing? age, we gotta worry about cholesterol shit. Isaac, you you know, you're good for a minute. You got you got time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you just gotta worry about baby mamas because you're you're at that stage.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. not none none at the moment. Needs to worry about keeping it
1: wrapped up. Yeah, that's right. Don't be silly, wrap the willy, come on. <laughs> <Yeah. Yep. laughs> that's well, right. So All joking aside, I mean, part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you guys as father son is because, you know, I am I'm a parent. I'm a I'm a father. And, you know, my kids are under eight. And Isaac, you know, I wanted to hear from you, man. I mean, like, what did your dad and your mom for that matter? But I mean, like, what what did your pops do that you look back on? You say, you know what? I am who I am because of pops. Like he taught he did this right. He did that right. He taught me this. He taught me that. I mean, tell me a little bit about your dad.
0: Well, first, a lot of people aren't aware. I mean, I've said this in other interviews before, but I grew up living with my mom majority of the time, seeing my dad on the weekends. But the thing that I extracted most from our relationship during my childhood was the fact that he exposed me to art really early on. Every time I went to my dad's house, it was always art shows, museums, studio visits, auctions, festivals, and things of that nature. So... That was kind of the one and only thing that I I knew of my dad. That and aside from Disney and and all the other nuanced stuff that he would do. But that was pretty much the bulk of our time was spent in the art gallery, spent in the museum, spent in other people's studios and just listening to him talk and converse with like legends from L.A. I was probably seven or eight when... He was taking me to a super legendary artist named Magoo from Los Four. That was kind of a big deal because, you know, that was someone who was also Hispanic, really notable artist. And, you know, going to the stu- going to environments like that, those are the type types of things that I grasped onto. So when I went home, back to my mom's, where there was no art involved, that, you know, that was the one thing that, that I related to. So I took that back home and I kind of I just delve into it myself. My dad never forced art on me, never told me I should be an artist. If anything, my dad and I we talked a lot about finances when I was a kid. Like my dad would drive from LA all the way to Riverside to pick me up. You know, we'd have a two and a half hour drive back. And it was always talking about the law of attraction and finances and you know, I had an economic course when I was six. Those were the types of conversations that we had. And those are just the things that I felt like I related to the most, you know, And, and the whole ride back would just be a long conversation about, you know, art and law of attraction and shit like that. So that was the bulk of my, my relationship with my dad visiting him on the weekends. And then as I got older, it progressed and finding myself more and more obsessed with this thing that he exposed me to. Like I said, he never pushed it on me. He never was like, I want you to be an artist. He was more like, you know, I want you to focus on school and jump starting your career, doing like investments, you know, like focus on making investments and stuff like that. The art thing was just something that I just ran with. I, it was like a baton. I took it and I ran with it on my own. My dad was kind of like my competitor. I didn't see him as someone I wanted to be better than, I just knew I needed to be as good as him. Because, you know, at the time I, I was shit. I'd never seen drawings look like that before. I've been in museums and I never had seen anyone draw like that. So at the time when I was predominantly pencil drawing, I was focused on getting as good. I felt like I needed to be as good in order to have a name for myself. That was kind of the introduction to art and that's it sort of snowballed from there.
1: That's so interesting because I mean, of course, right? Like in, in, and kudos to your pops for, for having the wisdom to, well, for a couple of things, having the wisdom, not to try to push the arts on you. I mean, he was just exposing you to his world, right. Then his passions, like that's what a dad should do or a parent should do. Right. Is like, you got the shorty, you bring him on with you to, to live life and experience the world and what have you. And he's, he's going to galleries and museums. He's bringing you with them and, you know, and it's resonating with you, he's not pushing it on you, but it's stirring your soul and you're starting to like, you know, really enjoy it and, and resonate. And that's really powerful. I think for any parents listening right out there right now. And I mean, I know even for me, it resonates because, you know, my kids are now starting to get to a certain age where like, I want to take them with me everywhere, you know, and then just expose them to different cool stuff and no pressure. I mean, if you're into it, you're into it. If you're not, you're not, whatever. I would just want my kids to be whoever they're meant to be. Hats off to your pops for exposing you to culture And it's a beautiful thing. It's no surprise, right? You're your dad's son. It's no surprise that you had that artist gene in you. And I totally get what you mean, right? About the fact that you felt like you were in competition, but not in a way that you wanted to be better, but your dad was world is world-class. I mean, you you can't get any better than your dad, (laughs) you know, when it comes to art and making art and so on and so forth. So you had a very high bar. You knew what world-class looked like. You know, what professional, art and artists look like. So you knew what you had to achieve and and how to get there. And so you were being challenged and being competitive in that way, which is a gift, man. I mean, I hope every day you say thank you to the universe for being able to have that exposure. That's a huge gift.
0: I think another, yeah, I think another one of the driving forces was that the age gap, because I knew that my dad was in his 30s, having just started exhibiting his work. The first time I'd ever shown my work in an art show setting, I was about like 10 or 11. So to start that early, I always felt like okay, every year that had gone by, I got more and more hungry to like break the barriers and and reach that point. I think that's I became obsessed with the idea of being the youngest person to be doing this type of work, you know. I when I was in high school, Nobody was doing drawings the way I was in high school. And that was, it wasn't because I wanted, there was probably a smidge of wanting to be better than everybody, but it was more like if I'm getting this good in high school, by the time I'm my dad's age, I'll be fucking astronomical. I did that. I latched on to that thought. It became obsessive. So not realizing how obsessive I was over it. I just kept, I would just, work produce I was so much never did anything else I never really had friends never played sports never gotten any other extracurricular activities that was the only thing that I had it was the only thing that I was good at and it was the only thing that like impressed my mom and dad to where like I would do something and if they I would always try to impress them and if I can just get a oh wow it's pretty good out of them I would go home and like try to do that again it was constantly it was it's like it's like a, a comedian you know when, when a comedian when a comic starts to do shows and they're, they're joking and they get a laugh or two they latch onto those laughs and then they try to get three laughs four laughs five. I was trying to constantly get like an appraisal out of my mom and dad with art I was trying to see how high I can set the bar because oftentimes they would it was hard to impress them because they knew I was fast learning and doing this shit. They'd be like, oh, yeah, like no brainer, you know, what? duh. You know, it was very like nonchalant. So I'd always try to get like a wow out of them. So that hunger, I just, I don't know, I became like really, really self-driven and like trying to reach that and not realizing that I kind of let my childhood or like my teenage years I just, I pushed all that to the side and I just focused on art and it, even more so when I got, and became an adult and like over 21 and started trying to make it a real life career, got to a point where I was attracting things that made it more and more real, you know, and my dad finally got to a point where he was like, okay, you know, this might be, might have a chance doing this shit. So yeah, I think what the most important thing was that he exposed me to the craft he never pushed it on me, and he was also hungry himself. So he set an example opposed to putting pressure on me because I'm also very resentful, and I could have easily pushed away from it and said, no, I don't want to do this. But instead, it was more like, huh, maybe if I do this, this is something that we can bond over and do together, and then like I can get really good at it too. You know, wasn't good right. at anything else, so... It just seemed like a common, common ground that we had. We, we, all we ever did was talk about art. We'd go home and watch art documentaries and talk about artists and go to museums. And we would talk about. I remember being a kid, and he would ask me, "How does this make you feel? This type of art, you know? What do you see in this? What, what does this art do to you? What does it make you think of?" He would show me books of like H.R. Giger. I don't know if you're familiar with it, for anyone listening or watching, if they're familiar with H.R. Giger, we would go from looking and studying stuff like that to Picasso to graffiti, you know, L.A. graffiti, and going even further back to, like, classical paintings. And we'd just, like, explore everything. We would just study it all and we'd just question it. You know, it was constantly, that was the type of chit-chat we had. And yeah. I don't know that that was. It, I took it more as like, this is the dopest thing I could be talking about or even thinking right. about. I didn't think about anything else.
1: Well, you know, I'm reminded of the phrase. You know, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. And you were standing on the shoulders of your pops, and so he was lifting you up in so many ways. You know, Antonio, whose shoulders did you stand on? Who who taught you about art and culture?
2: Honestly, no one. I also started drawing when I was little. My earliest memory was when we lived in Highland Park. My mom took me to Safeway, the supermarket. And I remember grabbing a magazine that has Superman on the cover. And I just grabbed it. Obviously, I stole it. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you when I got home, my mom saw it and she's like, dude, where'd you get this? I'm like, I don't even remember what store.
0: I
1: but they
2: they allowed me to keep it, and I drew the cover. and I remember my parents were like, "Oh, damn, that's pretty good." And then from <laughs> that point on, I would just draw stuff and and they would send those drawings to their parents in Mexico. And then once I entered preschool, uh, that's all we did is arts and crafts in preschool. And then I clearly remember when preschool ended, my preschool was right across the street from our house. My teacher came over to to our house and she told my mom, she's like, when this kid grows up, he's going to be an artist. Because apparently I was like the best one in in the class. And then I, I go to kindergarten and in kindergarten, the teachers used to take me around the school showing everyone my drawings. And then once I started first grade, they would do the same thing they would show my drawings to like sixth graders and the teachers would tell them, oh, look, this kid can draw better than you guys. <laughs> and, well, it's just it, it was just a thing. I obviously didn't know what was going to happen. I just drew all the time. And then when I turned about seven years old, we were sent to Mexico in a small town. In this town, I had no friends whatsoever because of religious beliefs. All I did was take care of the farm and draw. That's all I literally, that's all I did. Then once we came back from Mexico when I was 16 in 1989, I discovered the Disney Studios, which was down the street from my house. And I used to ride my bike around the studio and just imagine myself working for them. As an artist, I don't know what, but as an artist... And then at the end of high school, I was thinking, okay, you know, I want to go to college to study art. It just so happened that I landed a job at Disney through a, a temp agency and a, a five-day temp job turned into almost 30 years. So
1: <laughs> That's incredible. Just
2: like I did with Isaac, I didn't push anything onto him. My parents didn't push anything. They didn't encourage me or discourage me. They, I wanted to draw. They allowed me to do it. Obviously, they didn't know anything about art. My dad might have. He could draw a little bit, but he was mainly a, muse- a musician and mm. a composer. So there is artistic background. The genetics
1: art. are there. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. All of my mom's brothers, they're all musicians. All of my dad's brothers, they're, they're not musicians, but they can either compose or sing. And then my dad was the one that could do both. He could sing, compose, and play the guitar, the piano. Pretty much everything. Right. All
0: types of stuff. Yeah.
2: But as far as anybody in my family drawing or painting, I I was pretty much the only one. They never exposed me to anything. The only exposure that I had was me sneaking into churches in, in Mexico. That's That was my, you know, going to the art gallery or museum because they had religious paintings on the wall. Yeah, the
1: artwork's incredible. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. Once we came back here, then I discovered the art world. Working at Disney, I got exposed to art shows. The studios hold art shows for employees. And I went to one and I was like, what is this? I had no idea that you could, you know, create art, hang it up on the wall and have a bunch of people come over and either like it or hate it. Either way, I I liked that idea and that motivated me to start practicing pencil realism. And then... Just like Isaac would, you know, show us his work, his drawings when he was little, I would do the same thing with my co-workers. And there was particularly one guy there that knew a lot about art. And, you know, I would draw something, I would take it to him first, and he would critique me and tell me, oh, you're this is good, this is bad. And then I would show other co-workers, and, and they would give me their critique. And then it came to a point where I got kind of good, and then they started commissioning me to do portraits for them. And I remember the first portrait – I got commissioned by a lady named uh, Cindy Garcia. She commissioned me to do a portrait of her uh, husband. And then when it came down to charging her, I obviously didn't know what to charge. And she's like, how much, how much is this? And I'm like, look, for being the first one, just give me whatever you want. And she ended up giving me like 60 bucks. For a drawing, I spent like 80 hours on it. <laughs> And I'm like, well,
1: Sheep. This, is, this is
2: not what I want to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Add another zero maybe and we could talk. Exactly. Yeah.
2: But I did a bunch of portraits for coworkers. An ex-coworker wanted to be my art dealer. And he's like, I'll get you commissions. I'll get you in galleries. He never got me any commissions, but he got me a, a little show at a cafe. And I did mm-hmm. three drawings and I framed them up and we put them in there. And then all my coworkers came. And then later on, I entered a group show there at Disney, and I got a good I got a good response. And then I continued building my portfolio. Then down the road, a friend of mine ends up introducing me to Retina, and it was due to my Tupac drawing. Retina saw it, and he told my friend, "He's like, dude, I want to buy it." He sent me down there with my portfolio. He saw my work. He's like, "Well, I don't I don't have because I wanted to sell that drawing for ten grand. I don't want to sell it, but." He said, you know, but I yeah. Know. if
1: you were going to sell it, it was going to be 10 grand or, or nothing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah.
2: So then he's like, I like the, the drawing, but I don't have 10 grand, but I would like to put you in one of my shows. And back then he was curating shows. So I said, you know what? I don't have a lot of pieces. I had like maybe five, six pieces. He's like, it's all good. We'll put you in a small room. So that's what I did. I, I framed up all my pieces. He put me in that show. And then this was January, 2005. And from there, it just. Snowballed. I got picked up by uh, other curators and ended up in a gallery. That's pretty much how I got started.
1: Man, I just, I mean, these stories are so important for people to hear, right? Because I think there are so many people out there listening, things they don't know where to start. They don't know how to start. They think I didn't go to art school or I didn't, my parents weren't creative or I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start. And it's so important to share these stories because the most important thing is. Simply to start, right, to start drawing, to start creating, to start experimenting, to start exploring and expressing yourself, man. And it's amazing where this can go for people, where this can go for anyone out there who just has the guts and the courage to try.
2: You know what? Especially now with social media, like back then, all we had uh, MySpace was barely getting started. I actually joined MySpace because of Retina. He he told me, dude, you got to get on here so people can see your work. I didn't like it, but I joined and then it just, I got a bunch of followers. And so now with the, with social media, it's, it's easier than it was back in the day.
1: Yeah. Well, they, and that, and that's right. Right. I mean, the gatekeepers are gone, right. And gatekeepers, the good ones, and many of them were heart arbiters and curators of culture and were maybe good filters at times. But the reality is, Gatekeepers suck because, you know, they stop opportunity maybe from flowing. And now we don't need gatekeepers. We can go straight to the people, whether it's, you know, through your website or through your IG or through Facebook or whatever it is. And that's a beautiful thing that people can just start promoting their artworks directly to anyone out there in the world. I mean, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. Well, I'm you know, it's funny. i'm I'm starting to based on that story, Antonio, that you said about the woman lowballing you for sixty bucks. I can see now why you spent so much time teaching Isaac about economics. this <laughs> yeah, <mean>, yeah. <laughs> is like, listen, these are the hard ones. these are the expensive lessons I learned. I don't want you to make these mistakes, you know?
2: yeah. I was doing pretty well. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So Isaac, what were some of those, you know, because you're a lucky, you're a lucky dude, right? Because I mean, a lot of artists don't actually have people teaching them about money and economics. And, you know, the cliche about artists, right. Is that they don't know they're not good business people or they don't know how to handle their money or whatever. I think from what I can tell outside looking in, you're getting pretty good at handling your business. What are some of the lessons and things that you remember your dad teaching you?
0: When I was a kid, we talked a lot about a thousand ways to make money. As a kid, we we would talk, my dad always told me, he was like, dude, if your teacher ever asks you what you want to be when you grow up, tell him you want to be a millionaire. That's what he used to tell me when I was like five. That's what I used to tell my teachers. I remember like my first grade teacher, all my elementary school teachers telling me what do you want to be when you grow up and tell him I want to be a millionaire. And he would, we would talk about quantum physics. We would talk about the law of attraction and, and we would talk about investments and and stocks and stuff like I mean it was kind of hard for me to digest as a kid because it's a lot of information but as I got and older he was pushing you,
1: know, you yeah 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 for sure
0: as I got older we talked about it you know my dad was trying really hard to get me to get like open up a a credit card when I was like 16 17 so I could start building my credit granted I ended up opening up a credit card much later probably when I was like I don't know 22 or something but you know we talked a lot about Saving money, you know, putting putting away ten percent of everything you make and and putting that money into an investment that accrues value, four hundred one k's stuff like that. I mean, that's stuff we talk about a little more now. Back then, we talked more about saving money and finding different ways to make money aside from being an artist. I've always felt like hungry. I don't want this to sound weird or sound like damaging or anything but i was obsessed with making money i I, as a kid especially i remember selling my drawings when i was like eight or nine to like my aunts and uncles they would come and buy my drawings that i would draw up disney covers for like 10 bucks 15 bucks and i would have a little bit of money in my pocket and then the money was kind of a weird thing in my on both sides of my family my dad it's no secret where my dad comes from my grandparents didn't have a lot of money my mom's side definitely didn't have money. On my mom's side, we grew up, I remember having food stamps, having WIC and just living in low income apartments and shit like that. And, you know, having to apply for like free food at school, like just, you know, like we just, we just barely had enough to get by. Money played an interesting role. You know, there was constantly this weight on our shoulders, like we didn't have enough money. So I became obsessed with trying to make money anyway. Like I remember when I was thirteen, it was really weird. I started to like make little paychecks on doing side gigs. Like I would paint my neighbors fences for like a hundred bucks or something. Help people move for like 150 bucks. I remember I the same I painted a neighbor's fence for like a hundred bucks And then sometime later she hired me. She paid me like 200 bucks to help her move stuff out of the garage into, you know, a truck. And I just like would save up and I just would – I would put all that money into art supplies. I would constantly buy art supplies. Like that was what I would spend my money on It was going into better equipment, Books. I bought a lot of books when I was a kid. When I was, I don't know, fourteen or some or so, I, I probably started reading "Rich and Grow," uh, "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill. That was one of my dad's suggestions. You know, at the time, my dad did a lot of network marketing st- uh, stuff. You know, when I was a kid too, so I constantly was involved in those conversations. You know, networking with other people. It's one of the things that resonated with me was being told that it's not what you know, but who you know. So I became like a strong people person, just meeting people and, and absorbing as much information as I possibly could. I was always the fly on the wall in the room where, granted I talk a lot, I listen a lot too. And I'd always eavesdrop on people's conversations that sounded like it was good information to be listening to. Growing up, I would watch Videos, of Jim Rohn, Les Brown, Tony Robbins. You know, my dad was a big fan of Tony Robbins when I was a kid. I remember going to my dad's DVD, like DVD shelf and just seeing like all this, all these, all this material on self development. I constantly read self development books as a kid, understanding what it meant to own assets and not liabilities. So, aside from being an artist, I was also very much involved in my finances and knowing that I wanted to make money when I was a kid you know and when by the time I grew up I've worked so many different jobs I've had just about any job you can think of I've worked labor jobs I worked maintenance jobs I've worked retail I've been behind a desk I've worked network marketing jobs when I was in high school I've done all kinds of stuff working at Disney and I just none of that stuff it was all a learning process but that all helped me fine-tune myself as an artist and help kind of guide the business part of being an artist because i never had a team you know my dad never had a manager or, or a financial advisor or anything like that i always ran my finances with my dad and my mom my mom was always a hard worker too when i was a kid too she always had a job at one point, my mom was working like three jobs at once and buying – she had like three cars at one point. That was like at the height of like seeing my mom on her hustle. I just saw my parents' hustle and I picked that up. It's funny because I could have – I talk about this a lot too. I could have easily steered down a path. You know, I had friends that did drugs. I had friends that were constantly up to no good and getting in trouble. Living in Riverside too, I didn't live – In the best of areas, being with my mom, my mom was involved with dudes who were not the best people to be around and not the best neighborhoods to be around. So seeing the suburbs on my dad's end and then seeing like the ghetto on my mom's end, it's just kind of these two worlds and I gravitated to, you know, making money, being an artist and just working hard and, and just perfecting the craft. That is my pass in a nutshell and sort of what I extracted from my parents. And we continue that practice today. You know, me and my dad we talk about the stock market. I mean, I don't really know shit about how the stock market operates and how a lot of the economics operate, but we sit down and we have a conversation about, you know, what's happening in the world and why why there's an influx in and in finances and what's happening in the market what investments to make what's going to be an asset what's going to be something good in the long term return or, you know stuff like that recently i just became a home a homeowner and that's another thing that you know
1: Congratulations man that's a huge step
0: Thank you wow. yeah no it's 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 dope you know it's one of those things that i'd always talked about but you realize it's it's actually not that hard when you when you have if you just like listen to it, you know, my dad takes the time to really explain that stuff to me and making a little bit more money, thankfully on my art and being able to make those kinds of investments. But it's a smart thing to do. I mean, it's, it's guaranteed passive income. You know what I mean? Like people always need property. I mean, people need a place to live. Like property is not a bad game to get into. It's safe if you're doing it right. You know,
1: the bumper sticker says uh, buy dirt, right? You can't go wrong with buying dirt. That's for sure, and that's smart, that's really smart before we stop recording today you'll be sure you ha- you'll have to uh, tell everybody your address so that all your fans can come bum rush you but <laughs> 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 this is exactly what you want the paparazzi out your door that's awesome. Well, hey, man, congratulations on that i mean that's i mean in, in Antonio, how does that make you feel as a dad that your son at twenty four is a property owner
2: yeah it's another proud moment. I mean, I, I became a property owner when I was around 31, 32. I lived with my parents until that age. And Isaac's, the thing about Isaac too, he's he's been out of his mom's place since he was young, since
0: 17,
2: 18? 17. Yeah. He's been independent from a very young age. I was still with my parents up until, you know, I bought a house. So yeah, Isaac becoming a homeowner at 24, that's like a huge accomplishment. When I was 24, not me or any of my friends, none of us were homeowners at that age. And I don't know of any any of Isaac's friends that are homeowners. So to, accompl- to accomplish that at that age, it's a huge deal.
1: Huge deal. It's a testament to you as a father. It's a testament to Isaac as a young man now thinking straight and being strategic and smart and clever. And by the way, man, I mean, you have a lot to, you know, to much as to, to those, what's that saying, you know, for those who have been given a lot, you know, much is uh, expected. Right. So like you have a lot of gifts and wisdom to give back, you know, and so other artists could really younger artists coming up could, could really benefit from hearing your story, you know, and, and passing down the the wisdom and the, in the, in the insights and the learnings, that you've gained in your life from your dad and then from your own experience, because I mean, most artists never become homeowners. The fact that you could help teach other artists about business, about money, about finance, about just being frugal, but being faithful and being hardworking, you have a lot to share and pay it forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I I realize that being a business guy, and being an investor and being conscious of your finances is hard. But being an artist is a lot harder. And it takes a lot of work. I mean, I have a lot of friends who, they, you know, they aspire to be a creative of some sort, whether it's a painter or photographer or an actor or something. And and I think all the craft is very the, – the work is the same. You know, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, I've been doing – Art since I was a kid. When I first showed my work for the first time, from that moment on, I put in a lot of hours, a lot of work. So, yeah, man, you've
1: got your you've got your ten thousand hours in easy by now. Oh, know.
0: yeah, I couldn't easy. tell you how many hours. Yeah, I mean, it's I watched a lot of mistakes made from my parents, whether it was financial or personal or emotional. I learned from those mistakes. Watching my my parents go through ups and downs, I was there for that. I was there for all of it. So seeing that firsthand, I knew better not to make those same decisions. I was conscious enough to maneuver those things. And when I started making money on myself, I didn't spend a lot on frivolous stuff. Yeah, I buy myself stuff once in a blue moon, but after I pay off the things that I need to you know, I, there's a video, I forget where this is from, but there's a video where a man explains finances, gets a jar, right? And he fills up the jar with a bunch of golf balls. And he says, these golf balls represent your family, your friends, or your family, the people that are most close to you. That's the biggest bulk of your time. And then, and then he fills a jar up with marbles and he goes, the marbles are your friends and your acquaintances. And, and, and you fill up the jar with rice and then this is all the other extra stuff and then sand and you you prioritize what's most important and then you you know you you do all the other extra stuff so I just prioritize my my finances the way I needed to you know I got a car if I needed a car I paid my bills when I needed to pay my bills I got myself things that I needed to get opposed to spending on things that are just going to go to waste a lot of kids my age they, they waste a lot of their money but a lot of the times these kids my age they live with their parents still they don't have a job they live with their parents their parents are some hedge fund people you know there are some hedge fund kids and or their parents acquired some sort of money over inheritance or something there's something involved where it takes the pressure off of you know a lot of kids my age where they don't have to put in a lot of work I kind of had to you know I had to be able to help out my dad when there was need of of help. My mom, especially my mom with three other kids, you know, my dad's got a, a newborn daughter, you know, and I felt the responsibility. I just didn't let it go to waste. I just did what I needed to do.
1: I'm trying to teach my uh, daughter uh, a little bit about business myself. And she, a while back, we started, you know, giving her an allowance. But you know, she's got her her jobs, you know. It's like you've got your jobs, you get paid. Did you do your jobs? You get paid. Well, then, you know, one day she's like, Well, you know, I did my jobs, I need my allowance. And I said, Well, where's my invoice? Mm-hmm. And she looked <laughs> she looked at me like I had three heads. She's like, What? <laughs> she, What's an invoice? You I'm like, have. Well, in business, <laughs> you don't get paid unless you provide an invoice you did your job. you want your money? I need an invoice. What's an invoice? (laughs) I had to take my poor eight-year-old through this process of writing an invoice and submitting an invoice. So I require an invoice to to pay her allowance. I know she's going to end up in therapy years from now. She's probably going to hate me for it, but I think it's a good lesson.
0: (laughs) When she gets a little older, you should introduce the book called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yes. He talks about two dynamics of parenting. You know, a father who has a, a worker's mindset versus a father who has a business mindset. A father who invests in assets and then a father who invests in liabilities. One of those things is teaching kids that when you work for a paycheck, you become an employee and you want to become an employer. It's one of the n- another thing that I kind of held on to, I was like, dude, I don't want to fucking work for nobody to That's work right. eight, not eight hours a day for a paycheck, and then living paycheck to paycheck is a mindset. That's something that that people have to learn on. I mean, you know, you could start a business with ten thousand dollars.
1: Man, I think about that. It's like when I was in high school. Of course, you know that was back in the eighties, and of course to start a business. In the 80s, if you were 15, I mean, it was impossible. The thought of trying to start your own business, now it is completely low-hanging fruit for a 15-year-old today to start a business and become a multimillionaire.
0: With the help of social media and the internet too, I mean, you can do, there's, I know kids that are like 17 doing e-commerce, making like 50 racks a month. I have a friend who does e-commerce and he's making money just doing that. There's people making money doing day trading. You can sell just about anything nowadays. You can make money flipping pop culture items, shoes, playing cards. I mean, the sources are limitless.
1: What is your primary source of revenue right now, Isaac? Is it your original paintings? Is it your commissions? Is it your merch store? Like, Where are you making most of your revenue right now?
0: Original paintings. Yeah. So the way a person flips, and that's a nasty word because it doesn't sound pleasant, but the way a person sells anything is the way I sell my art. When I go into the studio, I'm an artist. But as soon as I step out, I'm, I'm my, my art dealer. I make the sales. Uh,
2: aside- and sometimes they don't get along. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well
1: one of them wants fifty <laughs> percent. Mean, right, yeah.
0: But you know, that's that's when I'm not, you know, working with a gallery when I when obviously when I have my artwork and which I do have in a few different galleries at the moment, you know, they're obviously making the sales for me. In the last year and a half, I've probably sold like a hundred pieces myself via social media direct to uh collector, you know, the collector. Yeah. Approaches and immediately I put on the advisor hat. But you know, a lot of people they see art for different reasons. They see it as an investment. They see it as something that they they love and cherish and they want to hold on to. They see it as something that they want to pass down to their kids. It's something like I bought this and passed it down to my kid. Like my dad had a bunch of art when I was a kid and he had talked about passing it down to me. He still got some pieces that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna cop that shit. When you know, <laughs> those two retinas right there. Oh, shut up. Yeah, some old ones. He, and he notice he doesn't have a single fucking Isaac Palayo in here. <laughs> you know
2: why? Because
0: <laughs> he won't give me one. <laughs> oh, man. No, he's too
1: smart. You taught him. You taught him too well. He doesn't
0: even want to give me a discount. Nothing, yeah. nothing for free. Yeah. No, it's-, it's You charge uh, him double. That's a good-
2: that's, he, He's got the right mindset as far as selling his art. It is- Right on point. I've done the mistake of like giving away my art and you know what? At the end of the day it doesn't work. You know what I mean?
1: It devalues the work and it devalues all artwork. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. That's my whole thing about artists. I mean it's Antonio, you know this, but you know, Isaac, you may not. But I mean I one of the the key messages that I just try to preach again and again and again for artists is like if you don't advocate for yourself, no one's going to. And if you're broke, you almost only have yourself to blame. Yeah. And if you act like a charity case and if you give your artwork away and if you want to work for free for exposure bucks or whatever, that's on you. You have to, the, the marketplace is always going to try to get the cheapest price possible. Your goal as a business person is to get the most money possible. You have to take, accept agency and advocate for yourself because If you give that painting away for free, for example, or if you give your time away for free, then you devalue all the other artists' time and artwork. What is your time worth? This is the key point. What is your time worth? And guess what? At the end of the day, your time is priceless. You can't, you know, like it's all you, it's a a limited uh, resource, but pick a number. You know, if you think you want to make a hundred grand a year, okay, great. Figure out how many hours a week you want to work, how many weeks a month or weeks a year you want to work, figure out what that dollar amount per hour is, let's say it's a hundred bucks an hour, then charge a hundred bucks an hour for every hour that you put into something, you know, I mean, just different techniques and different ways of thinking, but artists have been steeped in this tradition of like, well, the gallery, I'm going to get a gallery. I'm going to, you know, they're going to market up a hundred percent and I'm going to hopefully get my 50%. And, you know, and this is the tradition, right? Well, that tradition's fucked. Because it ser- it doesn't serve 99.9% of artists. It's a broken model. It works for the 1% or the point oh one percent or those blue chip galleries and artists that have that game down. Okay, God bless them. But for the majority of artists who are trying to work and earn a living, you better know what your time is worth. And you better be willing to negotiate. And you better be willing to say no to somebody who doesn't want to pay you because it's disrespectful.
0: Yeah. A lot of people are very uneducated, too, in collecting art. Honestly, I think social media has been an amazing tool for me. I don't think I'd be here right now without Instagram. It's allowed me to get my work out there in ways that I never imagined. My work has reached worldwide places now. It's insane. But because people see how easy one can blow the fuck up in doing this, there's so many now. There's so many people that want to do art. There's millions of people on instagram who are doing art and they're you know selling stuff for so cheap i mean i've had people before a few years ago i would have people ask me to they would want to commission me to paint like someone else for a cheaper rate like i I remember someone asking me if i can paint them a piece that looks like alec monopoly and i was like dude like first of all, I don't like that type of art. Second of all, first
1: of all, get some taste.
0: Yeah. Second of right. all, <laughs> yeah. second of all, I was like, dude, that's mad disrespectful to me and Alec. Like, if you want that, just yeah, save right, up your sure. money. And if you can't afford yeah. it, then that's not bad either. Just fucking get up your bag, you know. Just save up your money for that work. I mean, no one wants, dude. You be, you know, I, I think it's so funny how many people will be quick to recreate a retina and then people are willing to buy it because it looks so close but people can't afford to buy a real retina, you know what I mean? And it's just it's crazy because I'm working with a lot of celebrity people and, you know, people in the entertainment industry and they want to buy art, but because they have fans that are so quick to give that shit to them for free for a shout out or something. Their mindset is, oh, I'm going to get shit for free just because of who I am. One of the most important pieces of advice that I got from another artist and business person, he told me, celebrities get shit for free all the time. Stop giving away free shit. And everybody that has been instrumental in my career has always said, learn to say no. I say no a lot now you know, a lot of people are like, yo, can you, can you do this for me? But uh, I'm like, nah, dude, I can't. I'm sorry. If I'm selling artwork at this price, I can't do it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to give you a discount. Just respecting
1: yourself. Yeah.
0: I just can't do it. My time is, yeah, exactly. Like you said, my time is worth a little more now. It's kind of like, dude, this year this takes, this shit takes a lot of energy, you know, especially when the
1: by the way, does anybody, I don't know what that person does for a living. Let's say they're a doctor or a, or a plumber or whatever they do. It's like, okay, how would you feel if somebody asked you to give uh, your expertise for free?
0: Yeah. you know. Yeah. And I try not to get upset with people. You know, I try not to take it as disrespect because like I said, people are just a little uh, unaware. People don't know. They just, they don't understand. And you have to kind of like tell them like, Hey dude, you know, this is, this is how this rolls. It's like, if you want to book a, performer to perform i mean madison square garden is paying them this why would they do this for you for this you know it's just i'm not comparing myself to any anyone who's selling out madison square garden i'm just saying it's the principle you know and but yeah it's at a much smaller scale but yeah you know it's it's difficult but even when people ask him for commission stuff dude people it's crazy his stuff takes a really long time to produce not only because he's, you know, working at managing like Disney, he's managing father time with my little sister. He's managing time for himself. The events. That's a yeah.
1: whole other. <laughs> that's the big like, business. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's
0: like a third of the pie. But yeah. people, you know, that stuff takes a lot of energy and time and investment. And people will be like, yo, can you like do a portrait for me? For this amount of dollars, and it'll just be so, so- for 60 bucks. <laughs> I don't want to throw in I the mean- numbers out there, but yeah, you know, his stuff goes for a lot too, and it's just because it takes a long time. I mean, it could take six months to produce a piece at the level, at this at the degree at which people are expecting. It's like, okay, I've been doing tattoos for 10 years. I have a lot of people. Tattooing is a great example because I actually I, I will get pissed off about this. Because I'll have people hit me up and be like, yo, can you do me a portrait? And they'll expect me to charge them like 100, 200 bucks. And then they'll go to someone that doodle for fucking 60 bucks and it looks like shit. I'm like, dude, a portrait? I'm like, dude, that's like a, like at least like 600, 800 between that range dollar tattoo. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of hours, dude. Yeah, right. It's like you want the best out of me for very little. That's crazy. And then people will be like, oh, well, you know, I can go here and get, well, then go there. At some point, I don't think that it's like paying for a name at that point. Like you get a, a tattoo by cartoon. I love cartoons work, but it's not necessarily the most amazing stuff in this day and age, but you're paying for the name. You're like, dude, I got a car- Mr. Cartoon tattoo. You know, Original, oh, I got a yeah. Wu tattoo. I got mm-hmm. a Freddie Negretti or a Mark Mahoney tattoo, you know? So it's like, it's just crazy. Like, some people, like, again, some people are just very ill educated and they just are unaware and they don't know. And you have to kind of like school them a little bit. So it makes things a little difficult. And that's, but that's, that's part of social media. You know, a lot of people on social media are quick to give discounts or do something cheap because they're so hungry. That hunger turns into desperation. That's one thing mm. that I, I try to steer away from, is becoming desperate because then you lose sight of your own value. You know what I mean? That can damage someone's career for sure. So I've always been careful about that.
1: Yeah, man. That's actually a powerful point you're making. Cause I mean, as soon as you start feeling desperate, you start getting sloppy, you start making bad decisions, you know, cause you're oh. just, you know, you're trying to survive at that point, but it's the mentality as well. Yeah. Are you really that destitute? You know, that you're, you're so destitute, you're going to work for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't
0: make any sense. Yeah, you're only going to destroy yourself doing that. I mean, there's ways of going about when you reach that low point or that point of frustration and you're just trying to, you're going to burst. There's ways of going about it without damaging yourself. It's just some people are so quick. They're so, that obsession gets skewed a little bit and it turns into something negative. People start feeling doubtful and then they start, you know, stirring up these, conjuring up these. Bad, you know, ideas, and then they, they make bro- shit decisions in moments of like despair and and anxiousness. You know, you can't think straight. A lot of people don't take the time to meditate, or read a book, or think, or take a walk, get away from something, and then come back. That's another thing that my dad was constantly like: take a breather and then come back. You know, there's points in time where I'll do ten paintings, won't sell one, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I'm not selling shit. And then an opportunity will arise that will make me feel better or, you know, make me think oh, you know, I didn't need to stress so much. I try not to worry about money either. You know what I mean? You worry about shit you can't control. It's just going to make you suicidal. That's how people get depressed is they start to get obsessed with controlling everything and then they just let go. Letting go is probably the most liberating thing anyone can learn.
1: You mentioned meditation. Do you meditate?
0: My meditation comes in different forms. I meditate by listening to music. I, li- I meditate by by painting. I paint and listen to documentaries, and it allows my it, it's it stimulates my mind. If I try to meditate in silence, I can do that, but I'm also a very antsy person and anxious that I I, I meditate when I'm working. It allows me to. Release everything that I have going on. And then, or sometimes I'll take a hot bath. You know, I take a hot bath and I decompress, I let everything go, and then I just try to take it step by step. You know, we've meditated before, we've listened to meditating videos, and and we've done the whole silence thing and breathing exercises and stuff. And that stuff works, it definitely will calm someone down. But I find that my best form of meditation is through more work. I work and I figure out the puzzle in which I'm stuck. It's constantly. It's a
1: riddle wrapped inside an enigma, (laughs) like trying to break it down. I can't,
0: can't, if I let it go, then I find myself feeling like I wasted all that time and that stockpile of energy. I just more work. Let me work on something else. Let me come back to it and I'll figure out whatever it was that I was I was doing wrong. It's like working on music. I mean, I do music too. Sometimes I'll work on a song and it's not sounding good. I'll show him and it's like, "Nah, it doesn't really sound good." I was like, "All right, you know what? Let me step away from this shit for a minute and then work on something else and then I'll come back to it with a fresh mind." A lot of people don't do that. They just get frustrated and they want to shoot themselves. You know, and, well, and you're like, also
1: super lucky because if the art career fails and the music career fails, you can always fall back on your supermodel career. Yeah,
0: too,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like looking at some of these photos of my research. I'm like, this motherfucker is like a supermodel. Like, that's how he's making his money.
0: <laughs> you, you know what? And this is yeah. has the OnlyFans account too. And it's
2: all <laughs> it's all
0: feet pictures. Yeah. And, and that's another yeah. thing too. This is also part of the self development process growing up, you know. One of the things about feeling good is looking good. When you take care of your body and you feel physically good, you feel mentally and emotionally good. And that stuff is going to attract more situations that bring you that feeling. You know, so I constantly am like, we work out and, you know, when we we have the time to like really go hard into it. You know, at one point we were doing it. We had a really good streak of working out pre-COVID. And that was great, but like you know, we still find ourselves. We try to eat healthy, we maintain ourselves. And we, you know, we like to go out and, and get dressed up and look good and, and feel good and, and get some drinks. You know, we're always finding ourselves. Like we love going to art shows, getting dressed up, and mingling, having a drink or two. Like it's good to get out and feel good and and mingle with people. Like that's part of life. That was that's part of living and feeling. All this good energy, you know, that you have to feed yourself that kind of shit. If you just sulk and you don't, you're not happy with anything, damn, you know, you gotta be happy about something. A lot of these kids are listening to depressing ass music. They're fucking getting these ugly ass tattoos. Girls are getting botched up surgeries trying to look like Kylie Jenner. And these kids, they wanna be the next fucking Justin Bieber. It's like, I wanna be the next Justin Bieber.
1: <laughs> yeah, me you me too. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you think I got time? It's like- I'll tell you what, guys, Antonio and Isaac. You know, as we wrap up here, I just first of all want to say how grateful I am that you guys took time to be on the show and talk and share with me. I hope you come back. I want to keep talking. I want to, you know, Isaac, I you know, please know you can always come back. If you got a story to tell, if you have something you want to say. If there's a message that you want to get out, you're always welcome, my friend. Just let me know. We're happy to to have you on and, and you tell your story, tell your truth. Your dad, Antonio, he's not welcome back. He can stay home. You can come anytime. Of course, he knows I'm kidding. He knows I love him. You guys are awesome. You know, one of the things that I wanted to, in all seriousness, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on was because, of course, it's a beautiful story Your father, son, story. This is a family story. This is a human story and it's unique. It's truly unique. I would love to know what other kind of parent sibling or parent child kinds of artist families are out there because you know, it's, it's kind of a really cool, unique, special kind of story. Um, but so since I have you guys on here, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit, because what I would love if you play along with me, what I'd love to do with this last few minutes here, is Isaac, I would love to hear for you to tell your dad something that you love about his art. Not and Antonio, that. when when he's done, I'd love for you to tell Isaac something that you love about his art. And I just think it would be so special and beautiful as a way of ending the podcast. And I know all of our listeners would love hearing this uh, this this really intimate moment. So Isaac, I'm going to put you on the spot man. I mean, tell your dad something that you love about his art.
0: I like the art that is of me. Like the portraits you do of me. Those <laughs> that's, are my favorite. that's what I was going to say. <laughs> nah, man, I think one of my favorite things <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about Boom. work is the amount of detail that you can put in. Like transcendence is probably one of my favorite pieces, just because the amount of detail that's in there. Like if you do another piece that detailed, I'll buy it. Yeah, cash, Venmo, Cash <laughs> App, PayPal, okay. Apple Pay. How you want to do this? Bitcoin, crypto, Niren, Dogecoin,
1: <laughs> Dogecoin.
0: <laughs> we can go on pesos, euros. How you want to do this?
1: <laughs>
0: All right, I'm waiting. Well, that's
1: beautiful. So Antonio, you're up.
2: There's a lot to say about Isaac's work for a lot of reasons. I mean, I saw, I saw it being born and I saw it develop and now I'm seeing it flourishing. So there's a lot to say, obviously. Your latest work, I like it because it comes from the heart. You can tell it's, there's this freedom of not being, what's that word? You're not attached to anything. And that's Mm. where that's where it flourished. Mm. It's one day you just let go, and this stain just came out. I think that's one of the reasons why his last, this latest work that he's been creating is he's been so successful with it. So, and I admire that, not from a father standpoint, but from a artist
0: standpoint. Yeah, it's crazy that you know being around his work. It's so realistic, so tight and detailed and i mean he's got he's got work that looks more realistic than a photograph you know and then he's got like the familia series that's very contemporary and it's it's changing it's mixing minimalism and, and open space with realism so it's like combining detail with no detail and i grew up thinking that I needed to draw as realistic as I possibly can to be at that level, you know, and it wasn't up until that I started letting go of this need to be as realistic as I, you know, was aspiring to be that I just sort of the work became way more free flowing. You know, now I feel like I paint like a jazz player, where I start and I don't necessarily have the end vision. I'm just going based off of feeling and however it ends, I just trust that it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But if it does, then I did my job and I still do my job if it didn't work out, you know, because I was giving it my all and it was part of with every piece. I learned something new and I'm still developing it. I'm still learning. I'm still studying and, We're constantly trying new things. He's constantly giving me ideas. I'm constantly giving him suggestions. And we're figuring out ways to collaborate and combine our work together in different mediums and forms and subject matters. So we're constantly – at the same time, you know, I still don't have it figured out. But it's been an interesting long learning process. But I'm excited to see where our work shifts to in the next – five to ten years you know we've talked a lot about doing sculptural work you know going 3d doing physical sculptural stuff and seeing how our work can transcend into that so we'll see
1: i predict in 10 15 20 years people look back and talk about paleoism the birth this is the birth of this genre this aesthetic Mm -hmm. i know that's your vision that's your dream Keep on with it, brother. Because you guys, you're onto something special. I love the energy between you guys. I hope my son and I have the relationship that you guys have. You know, he's just four. We, I got a long way to go.
0: (laughs) If if you can win your, if you can win your kid's friendship, you'll win their parental ship. That's a word.
1: I just want him to know that he could call me if he's stuck, drunk at a party. He could give me a call. No judgment. I'll be there. I'm his personal Uber driver. That's the level of trust that you want to have with them. Now, first of all, I don't want him to be drunk at a party. <laughs> Let me say yeah. that. But I know it's going to happen. So yeah. you know, if it's going to happen, he might as well call me.
0: It'll happen. Give it time. Like I said, you know, be friends with your kids, and parenting will be a lot easier. That was something that my parents, I felt like, won with me. They were my friends first. They were parents, but there was nothing that we never could talk about.
1: Right, exactly. That's key. They treated exactly me like, right. one, of
0: treated me like one of their friends, and also too, they're very young parents. You know, I kind of grew up with with them. I grew up with my mom, especially. My mom was had a lot of learning to do, and it's just they were my friends. I mean, they, we we did everything. We talked about anything and everything. and We still talk about anything, and everything. There's nothing that we don't shy away from. So I think that's you know, awesome, as long man. as you're open that's and awesome. honest and real, and just keep it straightforward, that's all it takes. And you can't control anything. I mean, ultimately your kids are going to grow up and realize that their life is their own thing. As long as you're doing good and you're setting an, an example, yeah, they're going to follow for sure. That's just how physics of it works. You know, I'm not a parent. But-
1: well, thanks for that, brother. Isaac, you are a you are wise beyond your years, my friend. Antonio, my brother. So great to see you. Thank you guys like for it. hanging out with me Thank tonight. You. This was so much fun. But may please come back. And I meant what I said Isaac you're welcome back anytime well, thank just you. let me know
0: buy a painting and I'll be back <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well we'll, uh, we'll 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 have to do a studio visit see if I can afford you what is your average price price point these days anyway
0: It depends smaller works can range from like originals can range anywhere between 3 and 15k right now Okay it just depends commission work goes up a little more I charge based off of size and detail the mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. doesn't apply to me because I can finish something very quickly, or I can take a lot of time to finish something. So it's just the amount of effort that I'm going to have to put in. You know, well, that's what
1: doctors do, right? You don't you don't pay the doctor because he was in the room for 15 minutes. You pay yeah. the doctor because yeah, he was exactly. in medical school for 15 years. Right?
0: right. Right. So so therefore, you know, and I learned that that model from Retina actually. You know, charging mm-hmm, based yeah. off of size, and you know, you have a sort S- of a formula. Footage. God yeah. bless
1: Retina. How's he doing these days?
0: Great, I hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I hope he's doing well too. Lot, yeah. lots of love for that guy. Lots You're of love. You're
0: in a white shirt, right in the white wall, and I'm in a black shirt, right in the black. That's true. That was, this <laughs> is a weird aesthetic. It almost looked like this was <laughs> a split screen. That's how I felt you, you, this whole time.
1: Yeah. You, yeah, you guys, this you guys curated it just perfectly. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> All right, yeah, gentlemen. So you have a beautiful night.
1: Time. Yeah, man. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, thank you. Over and out.
0: Later.
1: Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at NotRealArtWorld.